You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, as you're finding a seat, I'm going to bring up another person who is our special guest today. My special guest is a dear, dear friend of mine, Annalita, and his wife, Laurel. Um, Dave has been a pastor, an associate pastor. Come on up, my man. He's been an associate pastor at very large, influential churches. He has been a church planter. He is, in the year of 2023, going to be a Nav Press printed author on a book about discipleship, which I'll have to read because I don't know anything about discipleship. And so uh, I'm really honored and blessed to have my friend here. It's been a difficult week for him. You can pray for him and his family. His dad is very, very sick. And um, in fact, can I just pray as you get started? Just, to yeah, just... They're, they're watching right now. Are they? And uh, okay. I'm not sure dad remembers. Okay, it. so we'll be careful. Yeah. Let's just pray for as we get started this morning. God, thank you for Dave, and thank you that he is so willing to just come and and speak today. God, bless what you're going to say to him through this very unique perspective of of Jesus at Christmas. Um, We're going to see him through the lens of him in his actual public ministry. And um, I just ask, God, that Dave clearly has something from your spirit that many of us need to hear today. And so, God, I just ask that you would just encourage and bless him and that we would hear what each of us needs to hear from him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Well, uh, I hope that I'm not a total uh, new face to you because faith community is our church away from church. Uh, This feels like home for us. I grew up in San Francisco. Folks had a house in uh, Mount Hermon. My parents live there full-time right now. And whenever we're in Santa Cruz, uh, which over the last year I've been here about once a month, uh, faith community is where my family ends up. And so uh, I always love coming here. And when Andy's like, if you're going to be here on a weekend, you know, can we dial this in? And I was like, that would be a treat for me. Um, and I just, I always, you know, pastors have this thing. I, I, I refer to it as steeple envy. You're like, oh, dude, th- I love this about your church. I wish my church could have this, you know. But I always show up. And I love the community that the kids have. Um, I love watching the kids worship. Uh, and um, But I always look around and I'm like, dang, uh, you guys decorate well. And I think you win the... Um, the Advent Wreath Award. Like, that thing is so legit. And I just want to pay homage to Cooper. Uh, and I, want, I was thinking about maybe I should just, like, represent Cooper here today. Uh, because I want to talk about the peace candle. But I was just so enamored with uh, what he had to say and deliver. And I was bummed that he left because that was legit. Um, And I think uh, at this time of year, we have a lot to think about. Now, the problem is, is that when you're a preacher and you get to the holidays, everyone always knows your punchline. And so it's really difficult when you stand up at Christmas or Easter, they're like, I know where this is going. You're like, (laughs) how can I make it funnier or poignant or more life-changing when in fact it's just life-changing in and of itself? Um, let me just uh, dial this in by saying, I don't know how many of you are rock climbers, but does anyone know the name Alex Hanald? Yeah. 
Anyone? Okay. Alex Hinald is a freak of nature for different reasons. He f- was featured in a documentary called Free Solo. I highly recommend it. It's fascinating on kind of different levels. But in, in 2006, I think he was about 21 years old and he was unknown. In 2007, he did a, a, a climb, a 1,200-foot climb in the Yosemite Valley uh, that put him on the map, and it actually broke this guy's record from 1987, as a, a, and I don't know if he set out to do a speed climb. And when I'm saying rock climbing, he's climbing without rope. So if you've been to Yosemite, you're like, oh, so like no safety. No. So there's something wrong with his head that he does this. Well, uh, he broke this record and then the guy was like, I got to get my record back. And then so like there's this thing going on in this elite rock climbing group. But uh, shortly thereafter, like five months later, he's in the Zion National Forest and he does this 1200 uh, foot free solo climb. Uh, and then he goes back to Yosemite Valley and they have these like two other faces off of uh, <clears throat> Half Dome. Um, and and he ascends them both in record time. And so this guy is growing in popularity. And this is where they finally, in 2017, came out with this. And and so he kind of went from a 1,200 to a um, 2,000-foot ascent. Uh, And then in in 2017, uh, he he does the first ever free free solo climb of El Capitan, like 2,900 feet. And and he, he did it in record time, three hours and 56 minutes. What's interesting is that in 2016, the year before the climb, and I don't know how many of you have like fear of heights or anything like that, this guy's oblivious to it. He goes through an MRI scan because someone goes, something's not right in this guy's head. And they were right. They studied his uh, amygdala. And somehow his amygdala doesn't function or register fear, stress, uh, the same way normal people do. So he would watch these horrifying images uh, and, and have just a mild reaction. He, he, doesn't ha- he doesn't register fear in the same way that everyone else does. So when he's climbing, he's just sort of at a baseline emotion. And I'm watching this, this documentary and he gets to the top of it and he goes, and he calls his then fiance and he's like, I, th- I think I, I think I could cry right now, but I'm not. And he goes back to his, you know, sprinter van that he lives out of. And he just starts doing finger pull-ups again <laughs> to just train for the next climb. And here's what's interesting as I reflect on that. And I hope you can relate to this some way. I am not jealous of his accomplishment. I'm not jealous of, of what he can physically do. But I'm mildly jealous, if I'm a little bit honest, of his capacity to not feel. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Does it not feel like, like, the, like the whole year is not tilted towards December? And whatever we were dealing with all year kind of ends up in this introspective, maybe even melancholy time of year. And Christmas becomes the reminder of maybe um, 
who our family is and who our family isn't. And dadgummit, I got to go see him again this year. <laughs> and sit at a table with him. And play nice. Or maybe it's, it's, it's the reflection and maybe the disappointment that, oh, the, the, there were some unrealized goals. There's some uh, unmet expectations. There's a thing that happens in this season of the year where <clears throat> peace it seems like the furthest thing to experience in a world full of conflict and in a heart in turmoil. And so I get mildly jealous of someone whose amygdala is mildly messed up and doesn't have to feel the full weight of what we process. So I want to spend a little bit of time um, giving you or reframing Christmas, not from a traditional Christmas passage. But if you have your Bibles, I want to look at an unusual passage at this time of year, but the passage will be largely familiar to you, but there's different layers and different perspectives that I want to look at. So in Mark chapter 2, there is a very familiar passage of this Um, Jesus healing a paralytic man. And it's it's a story where the roof gets destroyed for this man's salvation. Remember that story? Remember where this, the, these, these, these comrades, the, these caretakers, these caregivers go at great expense to lower this man through. The, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get to the story. But um, let me reframe Christmas in light of this story and talk a little bit about how we can imagine or maybe reimagine what we do at peace in this time of year. So. Here's the important question that I don't actually think anyone woke up and asked this morning. I'm going to ask it for us. Is that, is peace even possible at Christmas? We just lit a candle and said that it is. But do we believe it? Yeah, Merry Christmas. I know, right? Um, And so, uh, this is the story where Jesus brings peace, but it's a familiar story that's worth a second look. Now, I'm just going to inch my way through it, and I want to draw out some um, perspectives and, and speculate a little bit. Now, when it says a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Side note, not related to the story, not related to peace, not related to Christmas, but it says that Jesus had come home. So many gathered there and there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word of God to them. We have this notion that Jesus was this homeless nomad carrying about where he had nowhere to lay his head. But at the inaugural part of Jesus's ministry, roughly around the age of 30, what do we have here? What can we surmise? Capernaum is Jesus's home. That's what we know. This was the headquarters of the Jesus ministry at the very beginning. And it says, and maybe we can make the case for the home that gets destroyed was Jesus's house. 
Jesus' home, and they come. We know that Joseph doesn't have much play after 12 years old. It's speculated that his father has passed away. Jesus, being the eldest son, would have become the primary breadwinner to provide for his mom and his siblings. So Jesus has a trade as what we would consider much like a Masonite, because there's not a whole lot of lumber going on in that area. We typically call him a, a carpenter. The, the, the Greek word would be tecton. It's, it's, it's more of a describer of a craftsman. And so Jesus has, I believe, a home that people descend on and they do the pop-in. Pop-ins aren't popular anymore. We don't do pop-ins, right? Someone knocks on my door. I'm like, are you selling something? That feels a little bit like a violation. Like, what is it? Now, if you live in Mount Hermon, that's totally okay to do. But if you don't live in Mount Hermon and someone comes to my door, I'm like, are these Mormons? Are these Girl Scouts? What, what magazine subscription am I going to need to say yes to? You know, it, okay, so they, they do the pop-in on Jesus and it floods his home and then they break through the roof, right? Let's read on. That that has nothing to do with it. But I just think it's interesting. And again, I want us to read something familiar with fresh eyes. So uh, verse four, uh, so they came bringing them, excuse me, verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him, get to him to Jesus because of the crowd, they created an opening uh, and above and digging through it. It was like a thatched type of roof. They lowered the man, the paralyzed man, all the way lying down. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic sons, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Now it's starting to get familiar again, but we have some things that I just want to draw our attention to. It said some men, typically when we hear this story, don't we hear it as this paralytic had four buddies? But it said that there was four men that were carrying him, but it's, it was actually more than four people. So you have to ask the question, and you cannot read the story. If this is a paralytic, where is this guy's family? Why don't they identify him as family? Well, you're in a culture where honor killings are socially acceptable. You're in a culture that says we don't actually value births and babies because they're actually a burden to the home. So when you have a child born with a defect, an honor killing was socially acceptable. But if you have a child that's born as a paralytic, that's going to be a burden that's never going to get remedied. And if you're living in an agricultural society... You're like, oh, we can't care for this. So where does this guy pitch his tent except as a beggar outside of the city walls? And so what's missing in this story is a family who cared for the paralyzed man. And we can't understand the story without understanding that this man has been orphaned. Now, when I use the term family, I want to use it in a couple of things. I want to talk about nuclear family, but I also want you to imagine it as an extended family. And since most of us don't live near our kin, think about the body of Christ as an extended family of faith. 
where generations are represented, where beliefs are shared, where we covenant together for the kids' sake. We have someone who's further along, but we're bringing someone who's not as far along. We're, we're both an, an, an on-ramp and a pathway for wherever you're at in your journey. This is the picture of what it means to be an extended family of faith. It's do we just care for our own or do we care for the schools around us, for those living in the margins? Yes. And the beauty is this is all around it. We went through a lot of slides this morning of this happening at Faith Community Church. This guy is an orphan. And so some men, you have to ask the question, who are the men? Who are the people that would stop what they're doing in the middle of a busy time and say, hey, this guy needs healing because it's not his family that's bringing him to Jesus. Let's talk about the known groups at the time. Well, we know there's Pharisees. I'm going to go ahead and say probably not them. We know there's Sadducees. Same answer. We know that there's um, Zealots who were kind of the nationalist alt-right Let's overthrow Rome, even if it comes to blows. It's probably not them. That's not their agenda. But there was a group that maybe you're familiar with called the Essenes. The Essenes would be like old school Salvation Army. You know, Salvation Army started by William and Catherine Booth in England was much more of a denomination in Europe is than in the U.S. It's become sort of a thrift store. That's what we know of it. It's like another flavor of goodwill. But historically, Salvation Army, there's William Catherine Booth giving up wealth and privilege, going to the east side of London because there was needing a rehabilitation way toward the way of Christ for these people coming out of brothels, coming out of conviction, coming out of uh, uh, addiction. And so they're like, we, we should do something about this. So imagine this group of Essenes who are seeing someone totally abandoned and saying, uh, that's a little bit of hell on earth, but we know someone who could bring a little heaven on earth. And so these men pick him up by his mat and take him. I think it really reframes the story as a, a beautiful picture of what happens even when opportunity interrupts our, mm, our schedule or becomes an inconvenience, but God wants to bring a little heaven on earth because eternity has already begun. Amen. So here we go. Um, he brings them to him. He lowers it down. And he said, they made an opening. They lowered them out. And Jesus, he sees their faith. And so here's the point is that you have these men who are essentially intercessors. We just commissioned a new prayer leader, which, which means great. Someone's going to champion the cause. I got a chance to pray with Ruth in the back. Someone's doing something about prayer, but we're all called to participate in this work. In fact, we're all called to stand in the gap here. These Essenes are like, we're not just going to pray about this and ask God about this. We're going to be the answers to our own prayers. And so they pick this joker up and they're like, we know where the answer lies. Do you ever have this prayer where you're like, ah, that stinks for them. I'm going to ask God to help them. And then you get this idea like pot pie. Why I'm, I'm bringing them a pot pie today. <laughs> Do you ever have a prayer? You're like, and then you get a verse and you're like, Hey, for what it's worth, I was thinking about you. And this verse came to mind. Maybe God's calling you not just to stand in the gap, but to actually be part of the solution. And that's what these guys are doing 
in, in, in this picture. And so uh, I, I, I'd like to just kind of make this state. And maybe if you hear one thing today, and as we light the peace candle, you'll hear it this way. When we stand in the gap, when we're thinking about peace, really peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the pursuit of a better way. And so if you are mildly conflict avoidant, this is problematic for you because you want something to just solve itself. And at this time of year, we're having to reface unmet expectations. We're having to reface kind of hard memories. Doesn't it feel like there's kind of a trigger event that happens? Like you're waiting for the shoe to drop in December again? Um, Because sometime at this time of year or sometime in the past, something bad happened? A diagnosis? A hurtful thing? Debt? And you're like... Peace is not the absence of conflict. As the people of God, blessed are the peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is the pursuit and the effort that involves creating a better way. And I think peace is worth fighting for. So sometimes we have to have harder conversations to maintain a boundary. Sometimes we need to have difficult decisions that require effort in order to keep the peace but it's just not going to solve itself. And so this is part of the intercessor's work. This is part of what these men are doing. We could say, be warm, be filled, be healed, or they could pick them up and, and be part of a, a, a solution. And so he says to this, this paralyzed man, he says, your sins are for, it, it, well, he, let me say that son, your sins are forgiven. This is the only time that Jesus actually uses the term son. The only other time he referred to this was when, and he healed the woman and he says, daughter, who, who had this hemorrhaging problem, daughter. But rarely do we see Jesus speak the word son or daughter. And the first thing that Jesus recognizes out of this instance is that this person is in need of relational and emotional healing. But he names it as saying, your sins are forgiven. So let's just unpack the, 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 the kind of perspective of the paralyzed guy. This guy hasn't done anything. He's been lowered through. Jesus greets him by saying, your sins are forgiven. That's a head scratcher. Except that if you're the paralytic, you know who your family is. You've been placed at the wall of the city gate and destined to be a beggar while your family all of these years is walking past you into the city gate, to the market, to the temple, for commerce. You know who your family is. So his whole perspective has been developed being unwanted, inadequate, unloved, rejected. Am I speaking your language? Have I hit something that's close to your heart? And so Jesus welcomes him in and he says, your sins are forgiven because we're all carrying around that kind of inadequacy. We're all carrying around maybe those feelings of rejection. We're feeling like we haven't ever felt like we're worth enough. And he's like, you're living below your inheritance, but by the way, you're forgiven. You want to talk about peace? 
It's within reach. And Jesus in this moment identifies what salvation looks like. And he speaks to his emotional need. There's a burden that he's carrying that he, nothing he did to deserve it, but it's still present. He's the victim, but he's still got to address the heart condition. You want to have peace at Christmas? We probably need to take inventory of what we're carrying. Well, then a discussion unfolds and Jesus reads it. Do you remember what he said? He starts talking about these things. And, and, and then the, the kind of the religious leaders are like, who is this man to like, you know, forgive sins? How can anyone do this? And essentially what happens in this conversation, Jesus is saying, what's harder to do? Forgive the sin or get this guy healed and take up his mat. And what he's really saying is there's a right time for correct theology. There's a right time to be doctrinally pure. And this is not it. We're not going to make sure he has right belief. I'm going to bring salvation to what his emotional state is. And we'll figure out the theological things at another time. So Jesus addresses his emotional need and brings salvation there. But then he also addresses his spiritual need. But this is what he says to him. Take up your mat and go home. What does that even mean? Where's his home? Take up your mat and go back to the gate of the city. I was trying to think about what that would feel like. Uh, I thought about bringing a yoga mat, but we're in Santa Cruz. So I brought a beach towel, right? This was home for him. Wherever his mat, wherever our towel is, that's home for him. It could be something that he sits on because there's no sidewalks. It could be something that he warms himself in. But his mat has become his living place. Take up your mat and go home. Where's he supposed to go? You know what he's saying here? He's inviting him to peace. That requires a lot of effort. He's saying, go back to your family. Take up your mat and go pursue all the people that have abandoned you. Pursue the ones that deemed you as worthless. Pursue the ones that rejected you. Pursue them. Make the amends. Take up your mat and go home. (laughs) Forget that. I don't want to do that. Can't you just give me peace? Not without the pursuit of a better way. What mat are you lying on today? Asking God to do something that he's invited you to participate in. What mat, what burden are you bearing? Because he wants this guy to pursue forgiveness, not just from his heavenly father. Jesus has instilled that. But he's saying, I want you to... I want you to take some hard steps back to the people that you know their faces, though you haven't shared the relationship that I intended. Wow. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It is the pursuit of a better way. And so he invites them to take up his mat and to go home. And I was just thinking, you know, we can light a candle but we still have to reconcile what we're doing with this mat. And I don't know if this mat becomes a little more pronounced for you at Christmas time. 
I don't know what kind of emotions tend to boil up at this time. But there is freedom and there is peace. And God wants to do a new work. When I think about it, I think about, well, uh, for some of us, it's addressing the condition of our own heart. And in a little bit, there's going to be a communion time to bring some kind of reconciliation and let, let the Holy Spirit maybe bring a name, bring a face, bring a conversation that has happened or maybe needs to happen. I'm just going to allow the Holy Spirit to, to kind of bring some kind of revelation there. But then I was also thinking about what does it mean to be the body of Christ at this time? Because um, I would love the picture of someone calling someone from Faith Community Church saying, would you help carry this mat with me? Because I've got a neighbor and I want to bring him into the light. Hey, I've got this um, do-good shop that's happening at my church. I've got this gift opportunity happening at the elementary school. Like, this is what it means to be the church. We're not just going on operating with this individualized salvation. We are bringing the kingdom of God as it is, like, in Santa Cruz as it is in heaven. And we're like, what does that look like? So I don't just kind of self-manage my own salvation. But how do we bring God's rule and reign? And that, friends, is a violator. That, friends, is an interrupter. That, friends, interrupts the consumeristic mindset that this thing should be easier and should be made to order. And it's like, no, we need to welcome those divine interruptions, especially at this time of year. Can I pray with you as the worship team comes back up? Our Father in heaven, uh, I thank you for how Jesus continues to shed light in new and in fresh ways on what does it mean to not only be a follower, but to experience healing. We recognize that salvation isn't a one and done. It's, it's, it's again and again. And so I pray that for uh, the friends gathered today, that we could be born again, be born anew, again and again, and when necessary, again. Would you speak to the difficult places of our lives, especially in this weighted season that we call Christmas? We want you to be Emmanuel. I mean, with is your middle name. So we celebrate your withness. Help us to be your witnesses as we're with you and each other. So do a fresh work in our own hearts, but do a fresh work, a renewed work. Give us the kind of divine strength to put out the kind of effort needed to find um, peace on earth. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and invite your rule and reign, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.